You're listening to Faith by Hearing with Dave Delaney. Christian conversations about faith, family, and friends. What happened with the uh, the girl you slapped with a tortilla? She lost $1,000. That's what happens. <laughs> I got invited last week to be a part of a, uh, a youth event. There were a group here in Los Angeles was putting on for some public school outreach. And it was really cool. Uh, Benil Derouche, if you, if you follow UFC, you know that name. He's an outspoken Christian, and he they had him there speaking. They had a big carnival set up in the parking lot. But the highlight of the whole event was not the UFC fighter speaker. Of course not. No. It was the all-out March Madness brawl of a 16-person bracket of youth workers from all the different churches who were involved competing to win a giant check for one, one thousand dollars for their youth group. And I was excited. I was going in with bloodlust, like it was going to be over. Then I showed up, and about half the competitors were females. Oh, man. Which really made me question, can I still go as hard <laughs> as I was planning on? Like, you just feel bad. And did you get an answer to that question? I had to sort that question out in the very first round. <laughs> because the very first game I played was the tortilla slap game, which those of you at home, maybe you've seen it. It was like a TikTok sensation last year. Where one person fills their mouth up with water and the other person hits them with a tortilla. You you quite literally slap someone with their tortilla. Yeah, the goal is to slap the water out of their mouth. Yeah. Did first she thing. hit you first or did you have to hit her I first? I had to hit her first. Oh, that's tough. So I'm thinking right then, I'm like, okay, I am going to use humor to get her to spit the water so that I never have to actually hit her with a tortilla. So I rear back like I'm going to throw a discus, like full 360 spin. I come around full speed, and as soon as I get to her face, I freeze. And I just do the most effeminate little wrist flip, <laughs> like, bah! hit her right in the face. with it. Everyone else in the whole place dies laughing except for her. Oh, she's, she's stone cold. Then so I'm like, all right, humor might not work. And then it's her turn, and she slaps the living daylights out of me <laughs> with that tortilla. Harder than I thought you could hit with a tortilla. So you were shocked. Oh, it stung. Like, it actually hurt. I've played wow. that game before, and it's just yeah. fun. Yeah. They got, like, thick tortillas, and they doubled them up. She had two. I didn't know that at the time. They gave her two. Oh. So the wow. pain kind of motivated me, and I'm like, okay, I'm just, I know I can hold the water in my mouth, so all I got to do is wait her out. So I hit her, like, 25% strength, you know, enough just to get the round path. And she, bam, goes again. At this point... Is everyone like cheering for you? Is everyone cheering for her? She hit me hard enough. She got a good reaction. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, cheering as that. much as it was like, oh. Yeah. yeah. So third round, I'm still like, I'm not going to hit this girl full strength. I just can't bring myself to do it. So I hit her a little bit harder. And then she hits me. But this time she takes the two tortillas and she rolls them up to make like, like a, a newspaper. Yeah. Like a newspaper. <sighs> And that one hurt. She got me like from the corner of the eye all the way down to my jaw. Wow. With a rolled up, with two rolled up tortillas. And then I was starting to think, I don't know how many more of those I could take. <laughs> and the next round I hit her still not hard, but she spit some water. So I got out of that one. Wow. And the other games didn't involve in, like inflicting pain. So they were a lot easier, but. I had bad luck in the bracket. I got girls all the way to the championship. Wow. 
However. However. Didn't matter who was opposite of you. Yep. Because. We brought home the bag. Brought home the goodies. I got the giant check. <laughs> and also a smaller real check. What did you do with the giant check? They took it back. Aw. I, I was excited. Aww. I'm not kidding you. I told the guys, I'm going to take this giant check up on the platform tomorrow morning. I'm going to tell the church about this. I was so excited. I'm like, I'm going to pull that giant check out. Find a way to use it for they a certain illustration. Giant check? He's like, hey, he's like, you care if we keep it? We use it for all the events. I'm like, oh, that's fine. As long as you give me the little check, whatever. No, I slapped a woman with a tortilla to get this. <laughs> I want both checks. We got to get a big check. I've yeah, never held yeah. a giant check before, and it's just as fun as it looks on TV. <laughs> it was so cool. They gave me that thing on the stage, and I was just like, <laughs> So the, the intensity, like the, the, the level of competition in you, you were like, because you're a pretty competitive guy. Oh, yeah. But it was, it was elevated even more because you had some of the guys from our youth group with you. Yeah, they were cheering me on. The last game... I don't think there was a guy in that contest who could have given me as good of a run as that girl did. She was over six feet tall. Okay, what's the game? It was called something jousting. And basically, you put a big paper bag on your head and you hold it on with a uh, sweatband. Okay. Then you each have two pool noodles and you got to whack the bag off their head before they hit the bag off your (laughs) head. And I thought, okay, as long as I'm careful, I can swing as hard as I want because I'm just hitting the bag. I'm not hitting her. And I don't know that I'd missed her every time, but it got crazy. She beat me. That was best out of three. She beat me in the first round. And that's when I thought, okay, there can be no prisoners. Like, (laughs) I'm going to have to try just like this is Derek or somebody. And she was like six feet tall, volleyball player. Like, she was an athlete. Did she hit you in the face with the pool? Oh, yeah. She was just swinging berserk. You got beat up. You got beat up at this event. Yeah. Yeah. Slapped in the face with the tortilla, slapped in the face with a pool noodle. But, but at the end out, of the day, I was holding the check. <laughs> I was holding the check. Wow. It was fun. It was fun. Well, welcome to Faith by Hearing Podcast, an authentic conversation with faith about faith, family, and friends. And uh, we are back in the studio after having been out for a little while. Have have we it's been almost two months. Has it been? I was two thinking, while? yeah. First time, last time we were all three together wow. was on the lift. Oh, Steve. live from the lift! Live from the lift. That was a fun one. Wow. Well, we're back in the studio today, and of course, we're uh, sitting in front of Easter weekend, and uh, we're happy about that. I hope you'll, I hope you're planning to attend church this weekend and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I think we have a new segment for the show today. New segment, Riddle Me This with Derek Wilkerson. All right, Derek, riddle me this. What do you got for us? Here we go. For my first one, it's going to be a little bit of a softball. Oh, okay. I, I'm going to I'm gonna put this on the bottom shelf, and then every week we're going to get a little more difficult. I uh, see. See, he's setting us up. I feel like that's a setup. Yeah. Because if we don't immediately get it. And everyone out there, you may not know how Derek is, but yeah. I'll just say what's an easy riddle for Derek. Yeah, exactly. May not be an easy riddle for the rest of us peasants. Absolutely. I like the riddles that are disguised, but they're easy. <laughs> this is what makes it ner- this is what makes me nervous about they're this. They're easy, but they're a little disguised. All right, what do you got? All right, here we go. If you're standing twelve feet from a wall, and with every step you cut the distance in half, how many steps 
until you will touch the wall. <laughs> Theoretically or in general? Wow. If you're standing 12 feet from a wall, and with every step, you cut the distance in half. So one step, now you're only six feet from the wall. Two steps, now you're three feet from the wall. Uh-huh. How many steps until you touch the wall? Theoretically, you never touch the wall. Because distance is like infinitely immeasurable, right? That's the correct answer. Not, wow. We've been doing riddles in Sunday school for the last five years. And so coming up with new ones has been a little difficult. I have, you know, probably 10 of them that are just always my go-to 10. All right. This is off the cuff right here. This is as authentic as it gets. All right. So if you're listening and you have a riddle that you think Derek cannot solve. You're wrong. Okay. I want you to send it in. How do they get it to us? You can send that on Instagram at. Faith by Hearing Podcast on Twitter at FBH underscore podcast or put it in the email at Faith by Hearing Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, and I I give you my word. <laughs> Careful with that. <laughs> that he no. that he will not cheat. Okay, Evan yeah. Evan will read. Evan has access to all of the uh, accounts. Derek doesn't get to see the accounts. No. So Evan will read at the next recording. Of the of the episode of Faith by by Hearing, Evan will read the the riddle to Derek. He will not be able to Google. Will take away his phone. Mm. He'll have to ta- he'll have to answer your riddle. And if you stump Derek with a riddle, free Faith by Hearing hat coming wow. your way. If you can stump Derek Wilkerson with a riddle, a free Faith by Hearing hat will be coming your way. Listen, so there is the that is the offer. Here's That's some pressure. Here's a caveat I'm going to throw in here. We'll run it by the producers Since, later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get permission from the higher ups. <laughs> Number one, do not underestimate Derek's riddle solving ability. Do but, not. No, I want br- I want the softball. Bring I give a softball. Best. Give me back a softball. No, because there's a hatch at stake here. No, the, the, oh, the softball, softball he'll yeah. he'll smash out of the park. Number two. Please be honorable enough to not do what one of our teenagers recently did. Oh, no. And go Google impossible riddles and just find the hardest riddle the internet has and then send us that one. Well, if you send us something in, that'll uh, that'll give something for uh, Evan to do in his mailbox, which leads us to Evan's mailbox. Mail time. Here's the mail, it never fails. Make me wanna wipe my mailbox. Well, today's mailbox segment is a correction to a previous piece of mail. What? Yep. Wow. You know, here at Faith by Hearing, we're we're willing to say when we're wrong. Uh a few episodes back I read a letter that we received from Brittany Pearman, mm-hmm. as I said. And I understand now that I pronounced that name wrong. So I would like to formally apologize to what I now understand is Brittany Pear Woman. Oh. <laughs> so sorry about the mistake there. Brittany, Brittany, Brittany. We'll do what we can to make sure that we get that pronunciation right next yeah, time you she write will, in. She will appreciate having heard this correction, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. 
This past week, I was able to spend some time at my home church for its centennial anniversary. And I don't know how it is for you guys, but, you know, in a lot of ways, going back to the church that I grew up in was like walking back in time. And, you know, I can think of what I thought the auditorium looked like as a sixth, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade boy and the hallways at that time, you know, in your mind, they seemed so big and the auditorium seemed massive. And then, you know, of course, now you go back and you see it and it in your mind, you're like, wait, I thought this if it seemed like this hallway was like infinitely long, you know. Um, so it was it was nice to be able to to get back and see old friends and see the Lord still doing a work there. And this isn't a, an episode necessarily about my home church specifically, but it is an episode about the church as a whole. And I wanted to take the time to talk about the church because, frankly, I don't know how you all feel, but I, I am tired of hearing people bash on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not, I'm not referring to the world's ridicule of the church. That's expected. Jesus said, you know, the world hated me. They'll hate you. Paul teaches us the natural man discerneth not the things of the spirit. There's an element of what we do as a church or even in church that looks like foolishness to the world. Paul called preaching foolishness to to the eyes of the world. But what I so I'm not I'm not referring to the ridicule coming from the world, but I am referring to criticism that that uh, is directed toward the church that that comes from within, and the church as a whole has been accused of being irrelevant, uncaring, legalistic, intolerant, hypocritical, judgmental. I mean, you name it. The indictments toward the church can go on and on, and sometimes when I'm listening to these sort of indictments about the church from Christians. People that you think would love the church more than anyone else, you know, you 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 wonder, well, if the church was so bad, how how is it that you were able to come to an understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ? So at the start of this conversation, I want to make very clear that there are some situations that people have faced in the church, and those situations are tragic in some situations, sinful, illegal, blatantly wrong. And for those who have committed such things in the church, they should be held accountable and and they should be made responsible for the hurt that they've caused. So some of the criticism toward the church is valid because we're imperfect people. But a lot of the criticism that you hear about the church is it made up of sinful, illegal, blatantly wrong things? It it happens just to be that there are folks who criticize the church because they know that it gains approval from the world. The Bible says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, which means that God uses very imperfect people including me, including you, to communicate his truth. God uses imperfect people 
Christian leaders that we had perhaps growing up to communicate his truth to us. He's put treasure in earthen vessel. He has entrusted us with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I think we would all say is the greatest news in all of the world. And he's entrusted us with communicating that message in in our own limited ability to a generation that's coming behind us. And all the truth, all truth is God's truth. And the Bible teaches us that what Christian love does is rejoices in the truth. And that's really what I what I want to talk about today. So in response to all the harsh criticism, I want to say a positive word about the church. I want to rejoice in the truth that was communicated to me as a kid, as a boy, from imperfect leaders who I believe in the moment were doing the best they could to communicate those truths to me, for which I'm thankful for. If, if Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it, then those of us who are seeking to follow Jesus, we should love what Jesus loved, and we should love the church enough to, to speak up for it. Additionally, Paul tells us that we're to talk about, think about things that are admirable, trustworthy, praiseworthy, noble, of good report. That, that these are the kind of conversations that we should find ourselves having. So with all of that, maybe as the introduction, I want to jump into this conversation of things that I'm thankful for about the church. And again, talking about the church as a whole. So I want, I want maybe the three of us to have this conversation. If you're listening wherever you are, I want you to think about the church perhaps that you grew up in and or maybe even the church that you're in right now, things that you're thankful for about the church? I think that the ability to realize that the people who brought you up in from your parents to the rest of your church family, all included, we can only become truly grateful and rejoice as we look back as we're forgiving people, right? Like yeah. if, if you don't understand that those were imperfect people who were doing the best, like you said, they were doing the best that they could with what they knew at that time. Yeah then you're just going to hold every mistake that they ever made and that's what you remember. And it's always going to be impossible for people like that to rejoice and be thankful for the situation that God led them to as kids because they can never forgive imperfect people for being imperfect people. So that's kind of before the whole conversation starts, like that's a prerequisite. You had to be forgiving and understanding that those people then were just like you are now. Yeah, They were mistake filled, but they were doing what they could. Yeah, and I think in that same line, like the the way we look back at past generations and think, man, how could they have operated with that kind of, you know, understanding? Or how did they not know this? Or how how could they have believed that? Well, guess what? Generations from now, our kids and our grandkids <laughs> look back at us and they're like, oh my my dad was so stone age, you know? <laughs> like this is this this is a story as old as time, quite literally, you know of growing in our understanding and in growing in our understanding of who we are as people and the, specifically the people of God. I think of what Paul said to the church at Philippi. We went through the book of Philippians during COVID. Little did I know when we started the study of Philippians that we would end up like in the situations that we were in during the COVID season. But Paul starts that book with, 
I thank my Lord upon every remembrance of you being filled with joy. And that beginning part of Philippians has really become for me like a model of ministry that I want to have so desperately bad. I want to be able to say to the people that I ministered to, either past tense or will minister to future tense, every thought I have of you, every remembrance I'm thankful for, I'm joyful in. And really, to be able to have that, you do need a sense of spiritual amnesia, where you're asking the Lord, remind me of the good, help me to forget the things I ought to forget, Help me to have the courage to forgive the areas that I need to practice forgiveness in and help me to focus on those joyful moments of of growing up, of learning, of sitting under the leadership of imperfect people in, in a church culture or a home culture or at your job, you know. What I find myself doing is I find myself not remembering the joyful, good moments. I find myself repeating all the bad and hurtful ones and just repeating them over and over and over and over again. And then I get stuck in a deep rut and it becomes a trench that I can't get out of. And that becomes this resentment, this frustration this hostility, which eventually turns into bitterness and corrupts any sort of work that the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you. And I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you all. I don't want that for our listeners. So this is this is a conversation about things about the church that I'm thankful for. So here's the first one. Uh, I, I rejoice in that I learned to love preaching. When I think back about my growing up, the central activity in every church meeting was preaching. On Sunday, both services, we had preaching. We had a, a Wednesday evening prayer service, and I'm using air quotes for that, right? We had a Wednesday evening prayer service, and guess what we did? We had preaching, right? Sunday school class, which was supposed to be a teaching time, teaching and fellowship. Guess what we did? We took offerings, and we had we had preaching. Almost every youth activity we went to, we had preaching. My parents would go to choir practice. Well, to be fair, my dad never went to choir practice, okay? He was not in the choir. No one, the choir director did not let him anywhere near the choir room. But my mom went to choir practice. And when she did, the, the teens were required to uh, go to a teen meeting on campus, which was the hour before Sunday night church. And can you guess what we did during that hour before church? We had 35, 40 minutes of preaching. And as I look back now on my life, I am so thankful that my home church put a primacy, put an emphasis on the preaching of the word of God. And I'm, I'm thankful that I learned at a young age to love to listen to the preaching of God's word. You know, that's something that is cultivated, which I think you don't realize at the time. Mm -hmm. Because you remember as a kid, you kind of dreaded it. Oh, yeah. Like you loved getting to church early to play. 
And maybe if there was a kid's class on Sunday morning, that was cool. But Sunday night church, I remember as a little kid being like, what do you do? Because my parents, they weren't the cool parents to let me draw in church. Uh All my friends, they got to draw in church. (laughs) I had to sit there. I had to listen. But you look back and realize by the time I get into my teen years, it's the same way. Like you, you just learn to love it without even realizing that's what's happening. Yeah. And I think that's because God blesses the preaching of his word. Yeah. Yeah. I had the uh, extra advantage of having my dad be the pastor. <laughs> so if I was if I was even seen with my head down or drawing, any moment I could hear my name being spoken from the pulpit <laughs> to sit up and look up, help me pay attention, help me form me in that way to make sure I, I knew that preaching was the priority. Yeah. I, I think a, a second thing, I, I rejoice in learning to win souls. And I'm, I'm glad that as a seventh grade boy going into the youth group, we would do teen soul winning on Wednesday afternoons after church and before Wednesday evening, evening service. And our youth pastor very early, like probably right at the start of school, it seems like he was teaching us, okay, here's how you go through the Romans road. Here's a gospel presentation. And I remember he would take us and he would partner us up with an older, you know, man in the youth group or young man in the youth group. And we go door to door soul winning and, you know, knock on the door, give him the gospel, invite him to church. Um, and the emphasis on taking the gospel and meeting people where they are is something that I'm so incredibly thankful for that my home church did that we took every opportunity to invite our neighbors to canvas streets around our church to knock doors in our community to to pass out gospel tracts or to leave them on the doors or how to hurry up and get out of a yard before the dog before the dog got you you know to the gate and this is not a defense of every method that's ever been used, but I, but I do think that it would probably do our cultures, our, our culture and our cities much good if people were more willing to simply share the gospel with their neighbors, with the people right across the street from them. And I'm thankful that there was an emphasis on personal one-on-one soul winning that um that 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 my home church that my my home church made since since I was just a teenager so probably 13 years old when we started doing teen soul winning started going out with me and my friends and just really just passing out tracks I was I was a super shy kid terrified if someone would answer the door I would be terrified if I had to speak to someone in person but I was I was an expert at get the track <laughs> on the door and get out of there but but even even though I didn't have the social skills per se to to present the gospel in in a clear concise way, just being raised in that environment with the understanding that people matter to the Lord and yes. people need the Lord, it just it was always on my mind. And it, my my parents were were quick to point that out. Any kind of situation where I would have the inclination to be condescending towards somebody or judgmental. It was it was such a, a quick thing to think about. I was like, no, they need the Lord, just mm-hmm. like just like you did, just like you still do. 
And I don't know if that comes naturally, but, but just from my, my, my dad will often call it being on soul patrol. Yeah. So often thinking like, Hey, some, someone around you needs the gospel. Yeah. And having that constantly in my mind really changed my worldview from a, a young age. I think it forces you to see people as not just individuals to operate with or have conduct business with, but somebody who has a living soul that will spend eternity somewhere. And I I think for the most part in in church culture in America, th- that's really what we need. That we need to see people as having a living soul, people who are made in the image of God who will spend eternity somewhere. And our responsibility is to take the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, to the highways and hedges and compel people to come and hear the good news, come to the dinner that Jesus has provided. And a lot of times, you know, the 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 ridicule toward that kind of aggressive evangelism, which, by the way, if we're going to be known for something, I'm fine with being known as aggressive evangelist, right? I'm, great, tag us as that. Like, we will give you the gospel. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, but the, the ridicule that comes from that is, well, how many of those people mean it, you know? And my answer to that is always the same. Well, I have no idea how many people mean it, but the Lord does. Well, how many people really got saved? Well, I don't know how, I can't know anyone's salvation except what they've given us in testimony or in word. I don't, I don't even know if you're saved. I can only know what you said and what you believed at that moment in time. And the, you know, of course we can listen to someone's testimony or, you know, their, of their salvation experience, but the reality is only God knows, but only God knows any of our true, quote, true conversion. So I I rejoice in the fact that I learned to win souls, and I'm so thankful that I grew up in a church where the emphasis was give the gospel to someone because they have an eternal future somewhere. Another thing, I, I rejoice that I heard sound doctrine. And there were perhaps several practical areas that folks could have disagreed with, but you know, by and large, I heard sound doctrine from God's Word taught week after week. Our pastors, youth pastors, um, Sunday school teachers, they taught with clear and um, uh, convictional reality about things like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His virgin birth, his deity. They taught with clear conviction about the Holy Spirit, his empowering, his gifting, his leading, his speaking. They taught with clear conviction about the sacredness of marriage, the roles that God has given to men, to women, to children inside of the home, and and so many other things. I'm so thankful that my church was sound in doctrine, and that they communicated, they passed that doctrine onto a generation that's coming behind them. And that's just based in the same experience that I had, that which is a church that gives Scripture the ultimate authority. 
And that's the kind of thing that was taught to us from the time we were little kids, that the Bible is where we learn all those things you just said, right? And they, they were showed to us from the Bible. I remember in Sunday school and in junior church, and then, of course, moving forward into big church, as we called it, right? That yeah. there was always a Bible reason given. And those things were learned hand in hand. It was never, we learned this is true and this is important without learning. This is true and this is important because the Bible says so. Yeah. I I can remember my pastor teaching through like Baptist distinctives and and emphasizing and then re-emphasizing, you know, the Bible is our sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. It's go to the Bible, go to the Bible, go to the Bible. And there there could certainly be said, you know, a lot of things about the 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 practical aspects of some of those positions that were taken, but by and large what I received week in and week out was sound doctrine for which I am so thankful because without sound doctrine, you you cannot have a confidence in, in any of those eternal realities. And you can't have a, any kind of confidence of making sure that those eternal realities are secure for yourself, but even for the generations that come behind you. Uh, a fourth one here, and and we won't, we won't go much longer unless... You know, you guys have a few more, but a fourth one here. I, I rejoice that I learned resilience. And here, here's what I mean by this one. Baptist and just Christians in general can be pretty broad um, and varied on some issues like entertainment or music or dress, etc. And And the point of this is not to argue for for one position or the other. It's simply to say that in this day and age, it is rare to find pastors who are willing to address standards, who are willing to address um, things that perhaps aren't convictional, but they are beneficial. If you find a pastor in today's culture who dares to speak about clothing or modesty or worldly entertainments, you can guarantee you that that guy is probably going to get pushed back from somewhere. And typically from within the church. If you find a pastor who'll preach about the realities of sin and the dangers of uh, pornography or technology and and what you're setting before your eyes. It, typically speaking, he's going to get a lot of pushback from people within the church. And I am grateful that my home church was un, was was unafraid to attempt to address worldly cultures. They were unafraid to attempt to address worldly cultures and worldly philosophies, things like entertainment or clothing or music or personal conduct. They had the the bravery and the courage to, to preach it from the word of God, but also to say it in the pulpit to the, to the people of God. And I can, as a father of six, appreciate the effort from my spiritual leaders to attempt 
to maintain personal separation and holiness and and distinction from the world as as necessary in our sanctification process we are not of the world we are altogether different we are not the people of the world and again this is not a conversation about where all of those points should come into play it's just a way of expressing that I'm thankful I had a I had a home church that did the best they could in their cultural climate to address those things. I'm very thankful as well that I didn't grow up in a church that watered down those kind of things. They say what you're one with is what you're one to. And I feel like there's a lot of easy way outs where you can make being a follower of Jesus sound so easy. And it's just another thing you can try out on the weekends. And it's, you know, it's something that, oh, Jesus, come as you are, stay as you are, deal. Mm -hmm. But the idea that Jesus calls you to be different and he he doesn't call you to be comfortable. Being preached these kind of ideas all throughout my upbringing has been, been, uh, I feel like, instrumental in my spiritual growth. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, is still in the Bible. And I feel like a lot of... Um, I feel like a lot of Christians don't hear those sorts of things taught, preached, or see them practiced in 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 today's world. And I'm thankful that as a kid I saw that, and it it what it instilled in me is a resilience that okay, you 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 do look different from everybody else, you know, but that's but that's okay. That difference should definitely extend farther than the exterior i'm i i am the first to agree with that but that difference can't only be interior either it it's both it's it it ought to be both it ought to begin in the heart through the work of the holy spirit of god but it ought to work out through our lives through our sanctification and our striving to live distinctively in the world to be who God has called us to be. I think it's good to hear you say that and have that point of view because it's important and it's encouraging to hear you not look back and say, oh, they were so wrong about fill in the blank. Yeah. Or they place so much emphasis on fill in the blank. But you say, yes, I don't interpret what the Bible says about any of these issues, maybe in all the same microscopic ways that they would, you still learned and gained the principle from there that God does speak to these issues. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the last one, unless you guys have uh, one to throw in here, but I, I, um, I rejoiced, I, I rejoice in that. I learned boldness from my home church. Our, our leaders were bold in their witness. They were bold in their defense of the faith. They were bold in their willingness to confront error and sin where they saw it. And we we live in a day and age where where boldness is is greatly needed. And I think will only be needed more in in this current cultural moment. We we have to have bold and courageous Christians who are unwilling to just go with the flow of 
the modern cultural moment. Because we'll turn our back on all the things that we're so thankful for. The preaching of God's word, the sufficiency of scripture, sound doctrine. We'll, we'll end up sacrificing sacredness of marriage, the distinction of, of role and gender inside of marriage and inside of the church. We'll end up um, surrendering positions that are not secondary pos- positions. They're primary positions because they come from God's word. And so there's a lot that can be said for ministering in different cultures and different seasons and different times. And that's true. And some of that does matter. But I'm I'm thankful that I had spiritual leaders who were bold in the in the stance and in the way that they they ministered, but they were also compassionate in that boldness. That they weren't mean spirited. Are there mean-spirited people in churches? Of course. But I'm thankful that that wasn't the church I grew up in. Those weren't the men that God had given to me as spiritual leaders. I had gracious men who boldly took a stand. And quite honestly, I needed that. I needed... I was a rebellious little kid. (laughs) I, I was the devil. And I needed... Strong, bold, spiritual leaders who would confront me in my sin and in my rebellion. I I know how much I did in spite of all of that, right? I, I know how much I tried to get away with, how evil my heart was. I can't imagine if I wouldn't have had bold leaders. I don't think I would be sitting here today. I don't think I would be serving the Lord as a pastor today. Had I not had men in my life at that time who, did I always agree with everything that they said or did? No. Do I today agree with everything that they said or did? No. But I'm thankful that they were bold, that they were resilient, that they were uncompromising, that they were Bible-based, and that they were compassionate enough to talk me through some of those positions and kind enough to allow space and differences as I've grown and matured in my own life. And that's something that we only realize with time, you know, but I see the same thing in my own life. I actually saw one of my youth pastors um, this past year at a, at a conference in September and I was talking with him and we, we were, we sat at dinner and laughed about some of the bullheaded things that I did and the times that me and him came to blows and I would be so upset at him for, telling me the thing that he did, but it was a unique perspective to sit with him then just a few years later and say, man, thank you for that. Like I sure I hated it at the time, but the same is true that I would not be here today without that. Like, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope everyone hears us saying a few things clearly. And that is there are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect preachers. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. And God has chosen to include people in his plan and his purposes for the church today. So we can do two things with the help of the Lord at the same time. We can recognize his sovereign plan in the world today, operating through his body, the church, 
And we can recognize that along the way, God used imperfect people to accomplish those plans and be thankful for it. And I, what I want every person who's listening to this podcast to know, if you have a church that preaches the Bible, that takes bold, you have a pastor who takes a bold and courageous stand, he doesn't have to be a perfect person for you to wave the flag of support for. You can recognize, hey, yeah, he doesn't do everything right, but neither do I. And I'm still thankful that I have a church that preaches God's word, that'll be there for me on my darkest day, that I can, I can know I'm getting good sound doctrine from, that will help me swim upstream against this cultural current that we find ourselves in as Christians because we need all the help that we can get. And um, I hope that's what you. I hope that's what you take away from the podcast. That's certainly what we want you to take away. And uh, we we've decided from the very beginning of of doing this uh, this podcast, faith by hearing, that we wanted it to be an encouraging and an authentic conversation about this way. We want we want you to have listened and been helped along the way in your spiritual journey. So I hope that's what it was today. Evan is going to give us our reminders as we close. So make sure that you pay close attention because I know some of you, and I'm not going to call any names, but you know that I know who you are. Mm. You stop listening when we have to make our close. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I will call them out. I'm, I have some boldness. I will call them <laughs> out. out, but I'm not going to today. So here we go. Here's a couple of things you need to know about how to stay up to date with Faith by Hearing. Well, as you know from previous episodes, or maybe you don't, if this is your first episode, which is why it's important to keep on listening all the way through the end. You can find us on Instagram at Faith by Hearing Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at FBH underscore podcast. You can send us some feedback by email at faithbyhearingpodcast at gmail.com. And all those ways will keep you updated on upcoming episodes. We like to ask for feedback on episodes as well as topic things for future episodes. All those things can come to us in any of those social media inboxes or at the email. Let us know what you like to hear about. Let us know maybe this week some of the things you enjoyed or memories that came up as you look back at your home church from your childhood or maybe wherever it was in life that you came to the Lord, that church that was foundational to you, whether that was as an adult or a child. We'd love to hear about that. And I hope you're encouraged to think back on some of those things today. One special announcement. We are going on tour. What? <laughs> if you want to come see us, get your tickets. We'll be in Long Beach this Sunday at 10 a.m. Come by, see us. We'll be at 1000 Pine Avenue. We rented out the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. You don't want to miss it. Nicely done. Very well. Like and subscribe. <laughs>